Scripture reading this evening, this morning, is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, the very familiar, well-known book of Ephesians and the also familiar fifth chapter. The text, though, is not as familiar as the chapter as a whole is. Let's read the whole of Ephesians 5. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes, that is in the past, darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their, own wa their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, 
For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That's the reading of the Scripture. If you leave your Bible open for the reading of the text and then my explanation of the context, it may be helpful. The text is verse 21, the end of a sentence that began already in verse 18. The text is the end of that sentence, 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. As I said, this is a familiar book of the Bible. Probably all of you know that Ephesians is, generally speaking, divided up into two parts, the doctrinal beginning and the practical conclusion. The doctrinal beginning is the apostles' explanation of the church. The theme of the book is the church is the body and bride of Christ. The apostle begins the book by explaining that the church was chosen by the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that Christ said to the church, you're mine. The church was redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the shedding of His blood, so that He actually took possession of the church. And then the church is gathered by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ to be His bride and to be unified as his bride. That's the, simplistically speaking, the doctrinal beginning of the book of Ephesians. God the Father's election of the church, God the Son's redemption of the church, and God the Spirit's gathering of the church and unifying of the church. The second half is what we sometimes describe as the practical application of that. And the practical application can be summed up in this simple way. What the church is, you must be. And if the church is the bride of Christ, you must conduct yourselves as the bride of Christ. Or more specifically, if the church is a unity, that is one body and one bride, you must conduct yourselves together as one. Be one. So now, with your Bible open, you can see how that works out. At the beginning of chapter 4, this is the beginning of the practical outworking of that teaching of the church, Paul says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, and here it comes in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is what the Spirit has done, unified you. You now must endeavor to maintain unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Chapter 4 works out that theme by, generally speaking, saying that unity is impossible if you are not a holy people. And so, chapter 4 speaks not only, but primarily, of living a holy life. 
Then in chapter 5, it continues that theme. And right before our text, the apostle explains how that unified living is possible by the Spirit. Now we have in focus closer to to our text. The Spirit is the cause of unity and the possibility for unity. So verse 18, where the sentence begins that our text is found in, says, be filled with the Spirit. The three manifestations, at least in the context of being filled with the Spirit, and then we'll be on with the body of the sermon. First of all, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're sober. Secondly, you're speaking and singing. And thirdly, you're submitting. When a child of God and the church is filled with the Spirit, he's, and they are sober. And I mean sober in the sense of not drunk with wine. That's why Paul says in verse 18, You can be filled with spirits, or you can be filled with the Spirit. Now, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. There's a very important warning there, that if you're drunk with wine, you're not going to be able to live in the way that the church ought to live. In the second place, you're going to be a singing people, speaking Verse 19 says, to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. So the manifestation of the Spirit is that we sing. But now we come to the text because the third manifestation of the Spirit in the life of the church is that we submit ourselves to one another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then the text goes on, or the chapter goes on to say, Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to your parents. Employees, submit to your employers. Here is now the subject of submission at the end of the book. That's how the church is able to live in unity and in peace, where all of the members submit to all of the other members. I said a month ago or so that I was going to finish my preaching among you by preaching one more sermon on Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. That is a third one on the subject of preaching. I decided that I would much prefer to end my work among you with a passage like this. So let's call our attention this morning to submitting to each other submitting to each other, and then notice in the first place what this means, and there I'm going to lay the doctrine, lay out the doctrine of mutual submission. In the second place, how this shows, and there's going to be all of the application of the sermon in the second point. It's going to be all application, and then in the third place, explain why believers do so. That is, why Do believers submit themselves one to another? Submitting to each other, what this means. Secondly, how this shows. And thirdly, why believers do so. Submission is very simple to understand. Submission is the activity of placing yourself under other people. That's all. In your mind... And your consciousness, 
you put yourself under the others so that in a very real way, those others determine your life. So that in a very important way, what you do depends upon them and their well-being. Submission, I say again, is that we put ourselves consciously and willingly under someone else. You children can remember the word submission because you know what a submarine is. A submarine is a, a water vessel that goes under the water. And maybe your dad is a builder and you've heard about a subfloor. A subfloor is the part of the floor that you don't see that's under the part that you do see and that you walk on. So what a submarine does goes under the water and a subfloor does goes under the floor. When we submit, we put ourselves under other people. And though this isn't the meaning of the word itself, that ends in mission, that's different in the Latin, but that's okay. Let's let ourselves have a little crutch to remember what this is, that we make it our mission to put ourselves under the other members of the congregation. It's our commitment. It's our calling. And we make it our mission to put ourselves under the others so that all of the others govern us in our lives. Now, submission, if it's genuine, is going to have some characteristics by which you recognize it in yourself. You won't be able to recognize these characteristics in others. First of all, ask yourselves, is this virtue in me? Me. Genuine submission is, in the first place, an attitude and not an action. Here's where it's important to distinguish between obedience, which is an action, and submission, which is an attitude. I can't obey without submitting to authority. But I mustn't. When I obey authority, I must also have an attitude toward that authority of respect and fear. Submission is from my heart. Submission is something that you don't see in me, although eventually it's going to be manifest, and we'll talk about that too in the second point of the sermon. So whether you recognize this in others or not, you can recognize this in yourself and ask yourself, do I submit? Do I have an attitude there that is of respect and fear and reverence for these others? In the second place, Genuine submission is voluntary. It's never compelled. It's never coerced. It's always given willingly. And that makes sense too, doesn't it? I must put myself under. No one is going to put me there. I am going to put myself under others so that in a very important way, their lives determine my life. And then in the third place, submission, if it's genuine submission, is rooted in love and proceeds from love. That's why the apostle says in Galatians 5, verse 13, by love serve one another. We'll come back to that passage in a little while. Submission is an attitude within. Submission is given 
willingly and voluntarily, and submission is proceeding from love. Now, you know that. You also know this, that in the Bible there are five special areas of authority in which someone is under someone else. There's the submission of a wife to her husband, children to their parents, workers to their boss, members to their elders in a church, and citizens to the government. Those are five areas that the Bible clearly speaks of where there are some who are under others. And the apostle goes on to spell that out in the passage. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Which means that a wife, if she's going to be married, must willingly, voluntarily, with an attitude that's good, put herself under the authority of her husband so that in a very real way, a certain respect, his life governs hers. In chapter 6, the apostle speaks to children. Children, he says, obey and honor, but really that's another way of saying respect and submit to children. Submit to your parents. All of you who are children in the home of your parents yet must willingly, consciously, lovingly put yourselves under your parents so that your parents in a very real way, not in every way, but in a very important way, determine how you live your life. Tomorrow morning, many of you will go to work. You are either in authority, and you have a certain responsibility there, or you are under authority because you work for them. Those of you who are under authority, put yourselves there willingly, consciously, gladly, and lovingly. What the apostle doesn't talk about in Ephesians The Bible talks about in many other places that members of the church need to respect, reverence, fear, submit themselves to their elders. So all of us, consciously, willingly, from the heart, put ourselves under the rule of these men so that in a very real way, not in every respect again, but in a very important respect, they determine our lives. And then... Every day of our lives, we remember what Paul says in Romans 13, that the citizens of the country do the very same thing. We have magistrates, policemen, judges, governors, presidents, and all who are in authority, we put ourselves under them in that we submit to their rule in a very important way. You know that, I say again. But what we do not always think about is that there is another sphere of authority in which we all place ourselves willingly. All of us. Not all of you are wives. Not all of you are children presently. Not all are members of a church, although most, if not all of you are. But every single person must submit himself in this special sphere that is to every single other person in the church. That's the striking teaching of our text, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's so strange that some escape the force of the passage because they just can't believe that to be true by saying, no, this is simply a heading of a new subject that the apostle is coming to. Their explanation 
who are going to deny what I am preaching this morning is that the apostle is going to come to all of those areas of submission and he's simply giving, a, as it were, a chapter heading or a book heading. Now I'm coming to the subject of submission where all of you have to submit to many of you in many respects. And I say, that's not the proper understanding of this passage, and I'll show that in a moment. The passage is very clear. Everyone places himself or herself under the lives of everyone else so that their lives, in a very important respect, govern my life. Be very practical this morning. Very practical. Let every one of you look at every other member of the congregation this morning and say, I'm under them. Every other member in the congregation must, in a very important way, determine how I live. This is a submission that's never demanded by you of others, but it's always a submission that you willingly give freely. You put yourself under every other member and ask yourself, how can they govern me? If this were the only passage in the Bible that talked about mutual submission, you might wonder whether I were misreading the apostle, but let me give you a half dozen passages, first three that speak generally and then three that speak very specifically of this very same thing. If you read the Bible, you are not going to be surprised at these passages that refer to the general kind of submission that we make and have toward one another. Romans 15 verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We, strong, ought not please ourselves, but bear the infirmities of the weak and please them. That's the idea in the text. Submit yourself to them, to all of them. In Romans 12, verse 10, Paul says, In honor for the others, we must prefer the others. Not prefer ourselves, not prefer our own family, prefer the others. Philippians 2, verse 3, passage that often is being requested for weddings, I understand, and I like that, says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. All of us must esteem every other member better than than we esteem ourselves. What's general in those three passages becomes very specific in these three. And the first one, you won't be surprised that I bring up where Jesus was teaching about membership in his kingdom. The disciples who were gathered around Jesus were trying to find their way in Jesus' kingdom and understand what membership in his kingdom was all about, and they misunderstood it badly. Remember James and John's mother wanted to get them an important place in the kingdom? They said, let us have the chairs on your right and on your left and have the best place. Jesus said, you don't know at all what my kingdom is about. If you want to have a good place, an important place, then be a servant. 
a servant, the kind of servant that does what I am going to do to you in a moment, that is, take off my normal clothing, put on the clothing of a servant, and get down and wash your feet. That's what it means to be a citizen and an important citizen in my kingdom. Serve the others. That's very specific. And then that one who had to learn that lesson also about feet wa- foot washing, Peter, removes all doubts when he wrote his epistle when he began with the areas of special authority and ended with this statement, yea, let all of you be subject to one another. Paul here begins the section by saying, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then he goes to wives, children, and employees. Peter began with wives, children, employees, and citizens, and ended it in the very same way. Yea, let all of you be subject to one another. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 5 when he said, by love, serve one another. Now be very careful. Children, listen. I just said that everyone submits to everyone else. You may not go home today and say to dad, dad, you must submit to me. And I am going to tell you what time you must go to bed. And I'm going to go to bed when I want to go to bed. This isn't to turn those special spheres of authority on their ear as though women now no longer submit to their husbands, children no longer submit to their parents, citizens to the government, and members to their elders. That's not what this text is saying. It's saying this. All of us, willingly, consciously, from our heart, think about this. I want to be a servant to every other member. I want all of them in my own mind to be above me so that my life is nothing but a service of everyone else. That's not so difficult to understand if you understand two other biblical principles. One more broad, one more narrow. The broad principle is that we're all saved by grace, and from that point of view, we're all equals. We're all saved by grace, I say, and from that point of view, there's no difference between us. And that's why the apostle in the context here begins chapter 5 by saying, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. That's all any one of us is, a child. And because we're all children, some of you are sisters, some of you are brothers, but we're all children, we're equal from that point of view. I don't have prominence over you as a brother. You don't have prominence over anyone else as a brother or a sister. The only one who has prominence in the family is the elder brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. He has prominence. And that's why the apostle could say in the book of Galatians, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. That doesn't mean that there is no such a thing as a male as opposed to a female. He's not giving license to those people who love the concept of gender fluidity. 
He's simply saying when it comes to your Christianity, whether you're a servant or a master, it doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. If you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. You may be rich. You may be poor. You may be high. You may be low. There's a a, a leveling that the apostle reminds us of in the church of Christ. Keep that in mind as you remember that all of us are to submit to all of the others. And the other thing to keep in mind is that even in the areas of special authority, husbands, parents, employers, elders, and magistrates, even in those areas of special authority, those who are in authority are not in authority for themselves but they are in authority for the sake of the others under them. Parents need to remember that. God did not make you parents if he did make you a parent for your sake so that the children serve you, but so that you serve the children. And if any husband doesn't understand that, then he doesn't know what it means to be a husband. God did not make you head of your wife in order that your wife serves you, though she does. And when I talk to her, we say that to her. But God put you, men, in authority in your home and in your marriage for her sake so that you may serve her. The elders ought to burn that in the consistory room table. Many things that they could burn in their table. This would be one of them. We are servants of all of the members of the congregation and though God put us in authority over them and we must govern them and supervise them and ask questions about their lives we do that because we want to be a blessing to them so the point here is that we're all servants no matter what position we're in we're all under all of the others even those who are over the others in those areas of special authority. But now this submission that verse 21 talks about, I remind you, it's never demanded, it's always freely given, without coercion, from my heart, and out of love, I, as a member of this church, and you, as a member of this church, want to put yourself under all the other members of the church. And how beautiful is life in the church then? How wonderful is it to know that every other member in the congregation is living for the well-being of every other member. It's against my nature, and that's why the practical applications now in this second point are going to be, some of them, sharp. But how beautiful when by the grace of God we understand what it means to be a member of the church of Christ. Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is that we are sober, that we are people who speak and sing the Word of God to each other, and we are a people who know what it means to submit. Submit. Now, I said in the beginning of the first point that submission isn't visible First of all, but submission does become visible 
when it works itself out practically in your lives. And now the second point here for 10 minutes or so, I want to explain some of those ways that submission shows. Some of the ways that submission shows can be best explained by highlighting their opposites. Let me make the point this way. Submission recognizes that there are people who are over me who I'm to serve. A servant thinks about those who are over him, and therefore the negative application here is that those who are not submissive are not very thoughtful of others. You could say they're thoughtless in their lives. They act without thinking about the other members in the church. They don't take the time to consider what do these actions mean for the other members. They make decisions in their homes, in their families, in their church life without considering how this action is going to affect the other members of the congregation. A wife may claim to be in submission, but if she acts without thinking about her husband or her children, she's not submitting at all. And that's how it goes in the church also. But let me make this application for someone who's my age. I never had retirement on my radar until Synod called my replacement last year, and now in four years, when that replacement is fully ready, then I'm going to be moved out and have to think about what's called retirement. And many of you are in those positions that you have to think about what to do in those years that you call retirement. I may not make my decision about what I do in retirement unless I first think about what it's going to do to you, how it's going to help you, or how what I want for myself might hurt you. All of us, and that's just one illustration among many, among many, that we need to be a thoughtful people. The mind of a servant is that he's always thinking about his master. And if we're all servants of the others, then we're never going to make a decision without thinking carefully about that decision, even to the simple, mundane examples of what we do after church. When the benediction is pronounced and the congregation is released, I am going to make a decision about what I do. That decision usually is based on what I want. And I need to begin thinking about this Word of God right there at the end of this service. What is going to be a blessing to the other members of the church? I'm not thoughtless. Second, because submission is service, those who are submissive are never going to try to lord it over the other members of the congregation. They're not going to be dictators. A member who refuses to submit to the others betrays himself by being a dictator. He pushes his will. He always wants his way. But the member of the congregation who submits asks about your will and what is your way. He's not opinionated. He thinks about the opinions of the other members. A Christian certainly needs to have opinions. 
I must, you must, we must form our opinions biblically, but then we live in the life of a congregation where there are many who have opinions, and all of us need to listen to the opinions of the others. Uh, an opinionated man is not a Christian man. He's not conducting himself in a way that the Lord would have him conduct himself. We need always to say, what is your will? And that starts perhaps in some of these special spheres of authority. I think of a consistory room or a classes assembly or a synod or maybe a school board meeting or a congregational meeting or a school society meeting. All of those assemblies are where people come together not simply to vote, but to come to a consensus so that they can do the right thing. How do they come to that decision in the end? It's by listening to the others as well as speaking to the others. When I get to these meetings, consistory, classes, synod, cons uh, school board, congregational meeting, I must have my mind formed tentatively. And then before I speak, I want to listen to all the other members. And perhaps that listening will show me that my study of the Scripture or the issue brought me to a wrong conclusion. And then whereas I had decided to vote this way, I'm going to change my mind and vote that way. That's why these assemblies are called deliberative assemblies. We deliberate. If we didn't come to deliberate, we would simply save a lot of time by voting and going home. But that's not what Christianity is about in the life of a body. We talk to each other. We listen to each other. We really want to know what the others are thinking. If we don't have that mind, the mind of a servant, then we're never going to be wrong. We're always going to be right. And we're going to be angry when the decision didn't go our way. That's been the ruin, people of God, of church members and family members. It's been the end of marriages. It's been the undoing of membership in the church, uh, an angry, bitter, leaving chaos in families and so forth because we never were willing to admit that we were wrong and others are right. And then we're going to resent criticism. We're going to be bristly around other people going to feel like we need to walk on eggshells because whatever we say may offend someone else. And whether that's the janitor or the organist or pianist, whether that's the Sunday school superintendent or an elder or the minister, we must not be so touchy that we can't be willing to listen to others who say there's a better way for the well-being of the congregation. If we're not willing to listen, life in the congregation is going to be very, very difficult. And then in the end, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be quitters. People of God, let me be positive in this section of application. Not only must we, we be willing to be wrong, but we need to live in this way, that my life is for you. I'm going to live for you. And I'm even willing to die for you. That's the way it goes in the church of Christ. The law that governs my life is the law of love. And the law of love says this. 
I am determined to do you good. And I'm going to spend my life carrying out that determination to do you good. The law that governs the life of the child of God is the law of love. Let me give a couple of examples of that, of loving service. Sometimes I've heard some criticism of other Christian schools that demand of the young people service projects be carried out before they're permitted to graduate. I think we ought to soften whatever criticism we may have had of that. Our young people need to learn to be servants. From a certain point of view, the way we've structured young people organizations, societies, and Bible studies sometimes leaves the wrong impression that the parents are all wanting to serve them and that all of their activities are for fun for them and feeding them. The way we ought to structure our societies, young people begin that way, is by having the young people ask themselves, what purpose do we have in the church as servants? How can we serve all of the other members of the congregation? So a service project down in Alabama or Tennessee for flooding is marvelous. But it ought not end there. It ought to end here. How can we, as members of this congregation, youthful members who are finding our place, find our place, listen to Jesus. You want to be great in the church and have an important place? Learn to be a servant. That's why in the olden days, in our churches even, there were Bible studies, women's Bible studies named Dorcas Societies. That's an odd word, but it's simply the name of a woman who spent her time knitting sweaters for poor people. And then women in our churches had a Bible study where they not only study the Bible, but ask themselves, how can we be servants of other members in the congregation? We fathers ought to ask our families, how can we be servants in our church? That ought to be a part of our Bible study and devotions at home. What can we do to be useful in the church of Christ? And then, what parents, fathers, and mothers are going to teach their children is going to be more by what they model than by what they say. And so our children need to be growing up. And what a beautiful thing if they grow up and say, when they get older, this is what dad and mom did. They were always giving themselves for other people. So much so sometimes that we were without because they gave to other people. They were servants in the congregation. The law that governs our lives is the law of love. By love, serve one another. And the applications could go on and on and on and on. But let me remind you what a blessing this would be if every member in the congregation put himself consciously, willingly, every day under, under every other member. How can I die for you? You probably noticed that I missed 
a part of the text so far, this short text, I've only explained a part of it, submitting yourselves one to another. The end of the text is fundamental, in the fear of God. What that word in means in the Scripture is that you must imagine a circle, scribe a circle, and go in that circle. This circle is the fear of God. Those who are in this circle, who live in the consciousness of the fear of God, are the only ones who are going to be submitting themselves to each other in the fear of God. You go outside of that circle, there's no service of others. There's only service of me. And the more we come to the center of that circle, the more we're going to be conscious of and want to be servants of the other members. That circle of the sphere of God has as its center the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, you're not surprised that we're going here either this morning, are you? The very center of the circle is the fundamental work of God when He sent His Son out of love for us. He so loved us that He gave Himself. He made a plan to love you. He carried out that plan by sending His Son. And His Son said, I want to be your servant. I want to live for you. And I'm going to die for you. My life isn't important to me. It's important that I give my life for you. And the more people of God we live in that circle of the fear of God where we understand what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we're not going to be forced to be servants of the others. No one is going to compel me to serve you. That's when I'm going to say, I want to die for you. I want to live for you. And if it requires that I die for you, I'm willing to die for you. And as soon as we step out of that circle and forget about what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be selfish, angry, bitter, distant, reclusive. And then we come back in that circle and see what God has done for us in Christ. The Father chose us, not because of anything good He saw in us. The Son redeemed us, not because we were worthy of redemption. And the Holy Spirit powerfully has gathered us into one. And they say, I love you. And that makes me fear God, respect God reverence God. And that makes me say, I'm going to put myself under every one of you, every one of you, and your sin doesn't make me say, not you. Your sin makes me say, you. I want to serve you by being merciful to you and blessing you and helping you, loving you, dying for you. Submit, people of God, to one another. Are we a spiritual church? Then we're not going to overdrink. Are we a spiritual church? Then we're going to be singing and speaking to each other from the Word of God. But the book ends, the big ending of this book about a spiritual church that's going to live in unity by saying, 
If you're a spiritual people, you're going to submit yourselves one to another as we fear God himself. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy love to us in Christ. How undeserving. We are wicked. We are selfish. We have wanted others to please us. Enable us to hear the Lord Jesus who calls us not to please ourselves but to please others. To esteem others better than ourselves. To consider ourselves the chief of sinners. But to live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for us so that we are a people who live and die in love for the neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.